as I'm coming to the end of the book of Acts, here is uh, my feeling. I feel like I need to start all over again and get some more out of it. And uh, obviously our time is, is limited, uh, but I hope that it's been helpful. My intent was we need to recapture the spirit of the first century. As a church, much has happened through, to churches throughout, throughout human history from the time of Christ to today, the 21st century. And I think we would agree that uh, something has happened that has not been for the good with respect to churches. They've strayed away from what we find in the Word of God. And so let's return to the Word of God and see here's what they did. Let's do the same carrying the same message, doing the same work and dependence upon God. In the last few chapters of the book of Acts, we find Paul, if you would break down the book of Acts, you could break it down geographically. The first part is really the work of the church in Jerusalem. The second part, the work of the church is, because of the persecution in Jerusalem, believers were scattered, and as a result, many churches began to uh, pop up throughout Judea, Samaria, and then the last part of the book of Acts is the uttermost parts of the earth, and it is the fulfillment of Acts chapter 8 and verse 1, that they are to be witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost part of the earth, and the book of Acts is a record of that, that work being fulfilled. As we come really from, in the book of Acts, really from chapter 21 through chapter 28, we're specifically focusing in on Paul who is going to be imprisoned in bonds, and he will remain in bonds for the remainder of his life. It will be really Acts chapter 21 through um, chapter 28 is a period of about three years. We read these events, but the truth is it's a long period of time where Paul is in bonds, and Paul has been in bonds before, but not for this extended amount of time. And we're going to read just a portion in Acts chapter 28 in just a moment, but uh, before we read that portion, we're going to begin reading in Acts 28, verse 11, and we will stand in just a moment. You don't have to do right now. But we're looking here at the final steps of Paul's journey to Rome as a prisoner. Uh, and to understand the context of these few verses here, we consider really the timeline leading up to this portion of Scripture. Uh, it's always good to have the context. By the way, context always helps us to understand the Bible properly. Uh, truly anybody can make the Bible say whatever they wanted to say. When you study the Bible in its context and how it is delivered, it, it gives us a better understanding of the individual verses and passages of Scripture. If you remember, it was back in Acts chapter 21 that Paul, after his third missionary journey, had returned to Jerusalem uh, in conclusion of that journey. And remember, when he first arrived in Jerusalem, he was rebuked by James and the elders of the church of Jerusalem, Paul, was rebuked. Because they say, we heard that you're teaching this. And Paul says, I haven't been teaching this. Um, and they asked Paul, if you remember, to go along with other men to purify himself in the temple. And while he was in his final days of the purification in the temple, the Jews gathered a mob, drove him out of the temple, and were in the process of killing him when the chief captain intervened and saved Paul's life. 
In Acts chapter 22, uh, Paul tried to speak to his, this mob, to those persecutors, and he tried to reason with them. And they wouldn't hear him, but instead they proceeded to silence Paul. In Acts chapter 23, uh, Paul defends himself. The chief captain brings Paul before the Sanhedrin council. And Paul defends himself before the high priest and the Sanhedrin council there. And um, in that same chapter, there is a conspiracy against Paul to kill him. You remember, it was Paul's nephew who got word and who came and told the chief captain. So the chief captain basically brought Paul under the authority of Governor Felix. And so in chapter 24, Paul actually testifies before Governor Felix. Uh, Felix invited the uh, high priest and the Sanhedrin council to come up to where he was and to uh, see what was going on, what the commotion was, uh, was, going, what was about. And uh, he recognized that Paul had done nothing wrong. But yet at the same time, he was determined to please the Jews. So he couldn't convict Paul but he wanted to be in good standing with the Jews. And as a result, Paul was left two years in prison, forgotten. I don't know about you, but two years is a long time. How would you feel? Unjustly imprisoned. Then in Acts chapter 25, uh, Festus takes the place of Felix as the governor, and now he begins to deal with Paul. Um, Festus, just as Felix was trying to also please the Jews as the new governor, and they took advantage of that, and they, yet he recognized that he could not justly punish Paul as, because he was a Roman citizen. And so therefore, Paul appeals to Caesar. He, he sees the struggle. I've done nothing wrong, but he's trying to please the Jews, so it's not good for me, so I'm going to appeal to Caesar. And so Festus brings this dilemma to King Agrippa. And he says, here, I have a problem. He's appealed to Caesar, but there's no charge. What am I going to write against him? He's done nothing wrong. I don't know. If a man appealed to Caesar, you would list the crimes, and you would bring that to Caesar. But he says, there's nothing that he's done that I can uh, say that he is guilty of. And so in Acts 26, uh, Paul testifies before Festus and King Agrippa and a great company of people. And remember, at the end, he, all, he says... Uh, uh, Agrippa says, almost thou persuadest me to be a Christian. He had shared his testimony and what Christ had done, not only for him, but how he had changed his life. And so because Paul had appeal, appealed to Caesar, they sent him in bonds, and Acts 27 is the shipwreck. We read throughout that chapter. We saw what happened there. So think about all those things happening. They're shipwrecked on an island. The last three years have been difficult, wouldn't you say? They haven't been easy. And now we come to Acts 28 and we look at the final end, the tail end of this journey to Rome. Notice Acts 28. Would you stand with me as we begin in just a moment reading the Word of God? Acts 28 verse 11. We'll read down to verse 16. And I want to ask a series of questions here before we begin to read how have the three last years gone for Paul? How have they gone? These last few years have been rather unpleasant. How would you think about your life at this very moment? How would you respond to those circumstances? Notice with me Acts 
28, verse 11. The Bible says, And after three months, they, they were on the island of Melita, which is uh, Malta today, that same island just south of Sicily, which is the southern end of Italy. And so they sail straight up to Alexandria. So three months in Melita, verse 11, And after three months we departed in a ship of Alexandria, which had wintered in the isle, whose sign was Castor and Pollux. And landing at Syracuse, we, that's not uh, New York, it's uh, a southeastern city, coastal city in Sicily. We tarried there three days, and from thence we fetched a compass and came to Regium. And after one day the south wind blew, and we came the next day to Petoli, where we found, found brethren and were desired to tarry with them seven days, and we went toward Rome. And from thence, when the brethren heard of us, they came to meet us as far as Apiforum, and the three taverns, whom when Paul saw, he thanked God and took courage. And when we came to Rome, the centurion delivered the prisoners to the captain of the guard, but Paul was suffered to dwell by himself with a soldier that kept him. I'd like to bring your attention to verse 15. At the end of the verse, the Bible says, When Paul saw, he saw the brethren, he thanked God and took courage. I'd like to preach a message this evening that I've entitled, this morning that I've entitled, Thanking God and taking courage. Thanking God and taking courage. Let's pray. Father, we thank you this morning for your word. Lord, help us to see where Paul was at this particular time. Maybe to identify if we are in the same place in our own lives. Help us to do what Paul did as he thanked you and took courage. Help us to learn some things from this text that might strengthen us and encourage our hearts this morning. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. Thanking God and taking courage would not be the motto that we would think about at this time. As, a, as I mentioned, it's been a number of years and Paul has described his life as being in bonds. Actually, as he gets to Rome, he's going to be in house arrest. But this house arrest is not how we think about in house arrest. Is he was chained to a soldier. We'll see that uh, next week. The final record of Paul's time in Rome uh, in the book of in Acts chapter 28. But here in our text, I think there is something that grabs my attention because we, we come to this portion and we think in our minds about the Apostle Paul and we might think of things that he has written under the inspiration of the Spirit of God. He has written such things like, I have learned in whatsoever state I am therewith to be content. We think about the list of his suffering, of the shipwreck and the beatings and the imprisonment. He lists those things to the church at Corinth. And we may not tend to think of the Apostle Paul as a man who would ever be discouraged. As a man who would ever lack courage. But our text here says that he took courage. That means at that moment in his life, he was discouraged. 
He didn't have the boldness and the courage that he once had as those three years on him take a toll on his life. He's going to learn to be encouraged and I want to ask how, what is it that encouraged Paul? And we find some things present but we also find some things that are absent. Because we need to think rightly about what it means to take courage. As we look here at the final end of Paul's journey, we had traced uh, Paul from, remember he had sailed out of Caesarea. He had gone up to Sidon and then he had gone over the island of Cyprus. He had arrived in Myra and then this is uh, southwestern Asia Minor at the time, present day Turkey. Uh, They had gone uh, over some islands and then underneath Crete. And you remember it was there that Paul had warned the the captain of the ship and the Roman centurion not to sail. It was not a good time of year to winter in. But nonetheless, they decided to sail over. And uh, uh, the tempest, Eurycliden, came upon them. And we know that for 14 days... Uh, They had taken nothing to eat. They had battled the tempest. And finally they come to the island of Melita. And that's where they made shipwreck. Today is the country of Malta. Just a small island there between the continent of Africa and Europe. uh, Just uh, south of Italy. And so they're about to end this journey. The really journey from uh, Melita to Syracuse is not a long one. But it's straight northward. And Syracuse was again in the southeastern coast of Sicily. Uh, Then from Syracuse, they sail upward, northward to um, Regium, which was on the northeast side of Sicily. And from there, they're going to sail from the northeastern side of Sicily to Petoli, which was about eight miles northwest of Naples. it was about, uh, they go to Appy Forum, and so that would be on foot now. All that has been shipped. But then on foot, they go from Patoli to Appy Forum. Uh, Appy Forum was called that because it was on the highway, the Appy Highway. And it was a really a convenient place for travelers to rest and to refresh, to, uh, to rest and to refresh themselves. And this was between 40 to 50 miles on foot south of Rome. From Apiforum, they go northward to the Three Taverns, which is another 10 miles closer to Rome. And so they're inching their way closer to Rome on this journey. Uh, The Three Taverns is also called a place, uh, it was also a good place to stop, uh, often for weary travelers to stop there and to refresh themselves. And so evidently, some believers in Rome had heard of Paul's soon arrival. Uh, They met Paul as he was finishing his journey. The text shows us, beginning in Apiforum to the three taverns, the remainder of his, from that moment on, the remainder of his journey to Rome, Paul would be accompanying, uh, accompanied by fellow believers. If you notice with me in our text, the Bible says in verse 13, And from thence we fetched a compass and came to Regium. And after one day the south wind blew, and we came the next day to Petoli. 
Uh, notice, where we found brethren and were desired to tarry with them seven days, and so we went toward Rome. And from thence, when the brethren heard of us, they came to meet us as far as Appi Forum. So notice, from thence, when uh, the moment that they go from uh, Patoli to Appi Forum, they hear in between the believers in Rome, hear that Paul is coming and those believers in Rome go some 40 to 50 miles back then, not today, no trains, no planes, no cars. 40 to 50 miles to meet Paul on the last end of his journey to Rome as a prisoner. It's been three years since Paul has been in bonds. Not only as far, the Bible says, in notice in verse 13, they came to meet us as far as Appi Forum and the three taverns. So the text here indicates to us that as they were journeying northward to Rome, they had left Patoli. They're on their way to Appi Forum. As he's on his way to Appi Forum, the believers in Rome are on their way. Some of them are on their way to Appi Forum. And when he arrives there, the believers are there. And not only are there believers there in Appi Forum, as he goes from Appi Forum to the three taverns, there's more believers coming down. And by the time he gets to the three uh, uh, taverns, uh, you find that there's more believers. And you kind of find those believers from Rome coming down. You can find this group on the way to Rome getting larger and larger and larger as Paul finishes his journey to Rome. What a sight to see. I, I just think about, uh, you know, we have to put ourselves in those shoes. It's been three years for Paul. He's been in bonds and the journey has been a rough journey with the shipwreck and all the delays and all those things. And now as Paul is finishing his journey, he's about to go to Rome. You can imagine the reservation. He had appealed unto Caesar. He's going to appeal, uh, uh, appear before the most powerful man in the world at that time. No doubt there could be some reservation, some discouragement, whatever the case may be. But as Paul is finishing his journey out, passerbys are going through and through, passing through Paul and the soldiers. They see those men on the journey, but the soldiers are standing there and as they're walking along with Paul, the group is getting larger and larger and larger and larger the closer they get to Rome. And you know what this group is? It's not just a group of random people. These are brethren, believers in Rome. At that time, Paul had already written Romans. The believers in Rome had already received a letter from Paul. That letter had already circulated to many churches and brethren in Italy, although Paul had never been there himself. He tells us that in the book of Romans. And on his last journey, the Bible tells us the result of what happened. What was the result of this meeting? What was the result of this procession to Rome? The Bible says in verse 15, here's the result. Now the scripture gives, why would the scripture give us this detail of this part of the journey? He's about done. Let's just say he arrived at Rome. Why mention all those details? Because something happens. Verse 15 says, when Paul saw, he saw all those brethren accompanying him on the last end of his journey. 
he did two things. He thanked God and he took courage. It's interesting that as you think about the word courage here, this is the only time in the New Testament that the word courage is found. The word courage here uh, means really to be emboldened. Uh, The idea is that Paul has been discouraged and now he takes courage. We may think of Paul as uh, as a man. uh, When we think about him as a man, we don't tend to think of Paul as a man without courage. Why? Because we've seen throughout the entire book of Acts. This doesn't seem to be a man without courage. This seems to be a man who is bold. You remember when he was in Athens, he he says, I'm going to introduce to you this inscription that you've marked to the unknown God. I'm going to introduce you to the God of the Bible. And he gives him the gospel. Wherever he went, Paul was bold in preaching the gospel. So we may not tend to think as Paul as being a man without courage, being a man discouraged. However, evidently, this ordeal that we've read the last three years has taken a toll on Paul. Remember, he is just a man, just like you and I. Evidently, along the way, some courage had sapped out of Paul. Wouldn't you be discouraged? After all we said, the believers, the pastor, Pastor James and the elders at the Church of Jerusalem, remember, had rebuked Paul. The Jews had threatened to kill him. There was a conspiracy against Paul. The Romans had falsely imprisoned him without cause. On his journey, he almost, uh, there was the shipwreck. They were stuck on the island of Melita for three years, uh, for three months. It's been a rough three years. And Paul, being the man that he is, he loves God, he's still serving God. When he left Melita, he had preached the gospel to them. Great things had been done, but yet he's discouraged. This is the only time there is no other reference in the New Testament of the word courage, no mention of that. But the Old Testament does mention the word courage quite a bit. We might think of the book of Joshua. In Joshua chapter 1, verse 6, the Bible says, Be strong. God speaks to Joshua and says, Be strong and of good courage. For unto this people shall thou divide for an inheritance the land which I swear unto their fathers to give them. In that context here, God tells Joshua, take courage. Why? Because I have promises for the people. And I'm thinking here so much, uh, I'm thinking of Paul and his journey. You remember, Paul does have a promise from God. Paul, uh, God promised Paul that no harm would come to him and that he would come to Rome. Well, it's been a long journey to get there. But he's about to get there. We think of Joshua 1.9. Have not I commanded thee, be strong and of good courage? And he says this, Be not afraid, neither be dismayed. So when we think about courage, when God tells Joshua, take courage, be strong, and, uh, be cur- and, and of good courage, he says, what's the opposite of that? He says, be not afraid, neither be thou dismayed. So, Courage, the opposite of courage is to be afraid and to be dismayed. Now, what does it mean to be afraid? The word in Joshua 1.9, afraid means to dread, to be frightened, to be oppressed, to get to the point where you're about to break. Uh, The idea is, is to be prevailed over. 
God says, Joshua, be of good courage. Be not afraid. Don't be prevailed over. Don't break under the pressure. Don't be oppressed by the enemy. Don't be frightened. Don't dread the entrance into the promised land. Take courage. The Bible says also, be not dismayed. The word dismayed means to literally to be prostrate, to abolish, to be beat down, to be discouraged. So if you have Joshua, take courage, take good courage. The opposite is to be frightened, to be beaten down, to be dismayed, uh, to be discouraged, to uh, be prostrate, to be beat down. That's repeated in Joshua 1.18 and so on. The theme of be not afraid, be of good courage comes again and again throughout the book of Joshua. We read this morning in the opening verse that we read from Psalm 27.14. The Bible says, wait on the Lord, be of good courage, and He shall strengthen thine heart. Wait, I say, on the Lord. Uh, Psalm 31, 24 says the same thing. Be of good courage, and he shall strengthen your heart, all ye that hope in God. So with those understanding, when we find that reference in the Old Testament, we come now to the Apostle Paul. And when the Bible says that he thanked God and he took courage, that means that somewhere along the line in the life of Paul, there was a little bit of fear. There's he was in dismay, and we might say, I don't think it was entirely, but in some measure, there was some fears in his life. If the Bible says he took courage, that means that in some measure, he was discouraged. Now think about it. He had been misunderstood by his brethren at Jerusalem. He had faced spiritual opposition by the Jews in Jerusalem. He faced physical exhaustion on his journey to Rome with the shipwreck. Remember, 14 days not eating. Finally, they arrived on the shore. And think about also the longevity of his bonds. Three years. Well, Paul, he's, he's the apostle Paul. He, he can do it. The Bible shows us here that he was discouraged. We don't know. The Bible doesn't say what he was afraid of or what he was dismayed at. But something now happened in the life of the Apostle Paul. And I want to try to encourage you this morning with a few principles that we learned from this text. The first thing we see is that even the most faithful of servants have faced fears and discouragement. You hear that? Even the most faithful of servants have faced fears and discouragement. If you ever to the place where you say, well, I'm afraid of this. You're in good company, Paul. Well, I, 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 I'm hesitant about this and I'm discouraged about this. You are in good company, the Apostle Paul. And we also know that there is really nothing new under the sun. Uh, there hath no temptation taken you but such as is common to man. But God is able to help us when we are in that place of fear and discouragement. And so we have to come back to the Scripture and see here that Paul was a man just like you and I, and that Paul was not, in a sense, um, immune to discouragement. Oh, no, he was not. And uh, neither are we. Some of you may come to church and say, Pastor, you, when you come to church, you're, you're always smiling and... Uh, 
that's not always the case. You seem to always be encouraged. Well, it may not necessarily always be the case. Sometimes there is fear and discouragement. The second thing we learn from our text is that we think about the outcome here is that courage is not achieved in the absence of trouble. For no man needs courage in the absence of trouble. Uh, Why does he need to take courage? Because of where he is. He is in bonds. He has been in bonds for the last three years. As we looked at his circumstances, those have been difficult. By the way, after he takes courage, he doesn't take courage because now he is free. He takes courage though his circumstances have not changed in the sense of his bonds. His bonds are still there. And so courage here, we have to understand, is not achieved in the absence of trouble because no man truly needs to take courage courage when there is no trouble. There's a fourth thing we learn. And that is this, that the diminishing of courage, the discouragement that we face, is not sufficient reason for us not to serve God. The diminishing of courage or discouragement is not sufficient reason not to serve God. Often we find this an excuse. Well, pastor, I'm not going to be in church. I'm not going to serve God. You see, I'm discouraged. That is never a sufficient reason not to serve God. See, what we learn from the Bible is people were discouraged, and guess what they did? They still serve God. It's okay sometimes in our lives to serve God while we are discouraged. It's okay to witness while we are discouraged. But often we use that as an excuse. We say, well, I'm I'm discouraged. I'm fearful of these things. So therefore, I'm not going to serve God right now. I'm going to wait until I get over those things and then I will serve God. No, it is not sufficient reason not to serve God. Paul continued to serve God, although he was discouraged. But there's a final thing we see. And perhaps the most important thing we find in our text, and that is courage is found in the company of fellow believers. Do you see that in our text? Notice what the Bible says. Verse 15, And from thence, when the brethren heard of us. Now, us, Luke obviously journeyed with Paul. He's the one that penned the words of the book of Acts. The same one that penned the book of Luke. There are others on the journey. And they came to meet us as far as Apiforum and the three taverns. Believers, brethren, are coming in, <laughs> accompanying the journey. They can't, hey, by the way, hey, they're not trying to free him from the bonds. They're just there to walk with him. They're just there to be with him. They can't free him. They, they, they're not trying to overpower the Roman soldiers. They're just simply there to be with Paul. And the Bible says, whom when Paul saw, when he sees those brethren coming in, the Bible doesn't tell us they said anything, although I'm sure they did. The Bible doesn't say, man, Paul, your letter really had a deep impact on us. No, we don't find anything. But the Bible says when Paul saw them, when he saw them coming and accompanying him on the tail end of his journey, he did two things. He thanked God and took courage. And so here's what we learn. 
that courage is found in the company of fellow believers. Here's what happened often. Uh, what happens in our lives, Pastor? I am discouraged. I'm troubled. I'm just going to stay away from church for a while. You're going to encourage your discouragement, if that's uh, even the right way to say it. It's not the right thing to do. Do you think that you're going to find courage outside of the people of God? It's not going to happen. What are you going to give yourself to? More news? That's not going to help you. Are you going to try to look for answers outside of the people of God, outside of the church of God? I say to us, it's not going to happen. Often people are in fear and they're discouraged and they do the exact opposite of what can help them. Our text, I believe, is given to us to show us how a man whom we regard as New Testament believers, as the chief theologian for the New Testament church, as a man who we see, who, by the way, whom we are direct recipients of him spreading the gospel throughout the world. We still enjoy that today. He took the gospel to Europe. Paul did. And because we are recipient of that, we uh, hold Paul in high esteem, and, and no doubt we ought, but yet we see also that he was a man that faced fears and discouragement. But where did he find strength? Where is it that he took courage among God's people? And there is not one word recorded for us in our text that those brethren said to Paul. Was there like a secret sauce that could just encourage Paul? Like there, surely somebody said something. No, the Bible just says he saw. He thanked God and he took courage. So what do we do when we are discouraged? Here's what we need to do. You ready? It's the three things. Now, this is, this is not some deep theology, but it will help you do three things when you're discouraged. Be in the place where you can see the brethren. That's the first thing you need to do. The second thing you need to do is you need to thank God for the brethren. And the first, third thing you need to do is you need to take courage because you're not alone. See the brethren, thank God for the brethren, and take courage that you're not alone. You see, these believers knew that Paul was in bonds. They accompany Paul the rest of the journey. What are they saying? It's not the words, it's their presence that makes a difference for his life. You know why it's important, so, so important to be in church? Because that's where you get refreshed and encouraged. There's enough discouragement out there but there's something about coming together with the people of God that provides some refreshment. And sometimes when we come to church, and it's helpful to us now because, think about it, what is Paul, what, what could bring discouragement to Paul? Well, his circumstances, his bonds. You remember what Paul has been sent out to do from the church of Antioch, to be a missionary, to preach the gospel to every creature. That's what he's been doing for all of those years. And now he can't do that. He can't do the work of God. He'll find courage if he's just free. No, there's no courage needed when you're free. You see, all, even the most faithful servants, face fear and discouragement. Courage is not achieved in the absence of trouble. And the diminishing of courage is not sufficient reason not to serve God. 
Courage is found in the company of fellow believers. You see, courage is not defined by a man who is confident that his trouble will soon be over. That's not courage. That's not courage. Courage is not defined by a man who is confident that his trouble will soon be over. He will die in his bonds. No. Courage is defined by a man who is confident that though the trials will continue, God is greater than his trials. He doesn't thank the brethren. He thanks God for them. You see, courage is not the desire, a desire for peaceful circumstances. That's not courage. Courage is finding peace in spite of circumstances. I came across a saying by an unknown author. I don't know who wrote this. Probably a preacher. He said, oh, do not pray for easy lives. Pray to be stronger men. Do not pray for tasks equal to your power. Pray for power equal to your tasks. It's a different philosophy. I came across a story by Dr. Park Tucker. He was a former chaplain for the federal penitentiary in Atlanta, Georgia. He uh, gave the account of walking down the street in a certain city and he was feeling low and depressed and worried about life in general. And as he walked along, he lifted his eyes for a moment to a window of a funeral home across the street. He blinked his eyes a couple of times, wondering whether his eyes were deceiving him. But sure enough, he saw in the window of that funeral home was this sign a large, bold, in large, bold words. Why walk around half dead? We can bury you for $69.50. We also can give green stamps. Dr. Tucker, Dr. Tucker said the humor of it was good medicine for his soul. Many people are walking around half dead because worry has built a mountain of problems over which there is no path and they have surrendered to fate. I believe discouragement happens when we surrender to fate. Can't do anything. Can't change anything. Paul can't change his circumstances. Here's what I think happened for Paul. Those believers he had written a letter to. He had never met them. Personally, he had never been in Rome. And yet these believers come one after the other, just there to accompany Paul on his final journey. Paul, when he wrote the letter to his son Timothy, he knew that these were his final times. He would never know life of freedom. He said to Timothy, I have fought a good fight. I have finished the faith. I have kept the faith. He knew that that was it for his life. I think Paul was encouraged in just simply this truth. When I die, there's a whole host of people that are going to continue the work of God. What has been Paul's focus his entire life? The work of God. And here he's found a group of people accompanying him on his word of journey. And here it is. He's not alone anymore. The work of God is not just dependent on Him. The success of the gospel is not just dependent on Him. Here are some people who've dedicated themselves, who love God, who love the work of God, and who are going to continue beyond me. And here is what discouragement. Discouragement happens when we deem that life has been unfair to us, and we are selfish. 
That's when we are discouraged. But when we lift our eyes above ourselves and see God, and that's what Paul did. You see, when he saw them, what did he do? He thanked God. He looked beyond himself. You see, he thanked God for them. Who, what were these people? Who, who were they? They were free. He was in bonds. You might think that the Christian perspective is, well, they're not in bonds. I'm in bonds. I've been faithful to God all those years. And I'm in bonds. They're not. They're free. You see, that's what discouraged people often do. They go and they criticize everybody else that's doing well. Oh, they're free. They're free. And I'm not. Look at my problems. It's selfish and self-centered. And you know what Paul does? He looks at them in their freedom, in their opportunity, and he says, thank God. Thank God. And in that moment, he takes courage. He doesn't pull himself, you notice, he doesn't pull himself up by his bootstraps and say, I can do this. He looks beyond himself. Beyond his trouble. Beyond his trial. And what he sees arrests his soul and he's able to take courage because he's looking up to God. May we do the same when we find ourselves in fear and discouragement. Let's pray.